Welcome to The Perfect Storm, a bi-weekly podcast for business executives and cybersecurity professionals. Industry veterans Michael Markulek and Matthew Webster chat with guests about the latest cyber news, threats, and trends, and how all of it impacts their businesses. Harbor Technology Group is a cybersecurity consulting firm that offers advisory services to the SMB. Harbor believes by taking a proactive rather than reactive approach to cybersecurity, business leaders can develop a cybersecurity program that will address external requirements, exceed client expectations, and ultimately take their organization to the next level. Harbor's innovative processes are based on industry standard frameworks that are tailored to meet the needs of small and medium-sized businesses. everyone and welcome back to another episode of Harbor Technology Group's The Perfect Storm podcast. Um, thanks for joining us. Today I have uh, a repeat offender, let's say, um, Mike DeCock, who uh, is principal at uh, MJD Advisors. Uh, they're an audit firm. Uh, he'll talk a little bit about himself here in a second. Um, we had him on a, a few weeks ago um, to talk about SOC 2. Um, that 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 audit certification, that attestation, as we'd say. Um, after we finished up, I said, you know, there's some, there's some stuff, actually. Mike said, there's some stuff we should probably talk about uh, in relation to the process and getting ready for a SOC 2 audit. Thought that would be, you know, thought it was great. So we decided to have another podcast. So um, you can listen to this one now because it won't lean necessarily on the, the, the previous one, or you can go in order, which I think was probably about a month ago, if you... If you're looking on Spotify or uh, or Apple Podcasts, so Mike, welcome back. Thanks again um, for joining again. Uh, good to see you again. My uh, my absolute pleasure, Matt. It's last time was my first podcast, so you're getting me on my second go round. Uh, it was super fun. So I was excited to be uh, invited back. Well, that's great. And I will say that uh, in the month since and it hasn't even been a month, I don't think maybe three weeks, maybe a month. In the month that um, since our last conversation, you've basically increased your company size by two hundred percent. You've brought on you've brought on um, a number of staff members, which is really great. So it just goes to show how uh, how this has really become quite a thing. Uh, organizations are looking for this type of help. They're getting a lot of pressure from. The market, let's say, to to do the right things in security, um, and a SOC two audit is the way to t- to attest to it. So, just uh, let's set the groundwork a little bit and do this the right way. So, tell us a little bit about about you and uh, MJD Advisors, um, just so that we we have that on this this podcast as we do with all of them. Yeah. So, so MJD Advisors uh, firm was founded in August of last year. So uh, still very new. It was a CPA firm of one up until, as you said, about a month ago, uh, I added a, a senior manager and a senior consultant to the team. Uh, kind of the, what the firm's all about like, is just highly focused niche working with, with SOC 2 and primarily with technology companies and kind of within that space, a great deal of startups. Um, and so kind of the, the, the genesis, the whole idea is uh, we want to be very helpful, very consultive, 
uh, leveraging kind of technology where we can, where it makes sense uh, in, in a field that is, you know, there's a lot of people out there that, that are looking for this and it just want help. And so being there to, to be able to guide it and kind of providing that like very well-planned, thought out uh, engagement so that, you know, a lot, a lot of the things people are doing today, they really do meet the standards. And it's all about just kind of building up a program, providing kind of an effective uh, compliance attestation and, and trying to stay out of the way so they can kind of innovate and build their business. That's right. That's right. And I, I think the important thing, a couple of, of just nuggets, just in your description there that, that really should, should matter to our listeners. Um, as you said, you do deal with a lot of tech firms. So that's, that's kind of cool and understandable because they have some SOC 2 pressures, but startups. So these are small, unsophisticated organizations. The point being is you don't have to be a big, sophisticated organization to need a SOC 2, to have that, that requirement thrust upon you. So um, it's important that you know, whatever the shape and size of your business, SOC 2 should be something at this juncture that you have in the back of your mind. If you're, if you're doing business with other businesses, SOC 2 is, is floating in your universe, whether you know it or not. Um, certainly in, in high tech or fintech or uh, in technology in general, if you're delivering a service, holding data, I mean, it's more likely than not going to land on your desk and have and it's going to be something that you need to, to take on. Um, the other nugget, I talked too much and I forgot my other nugget there. The <laughs> we're, we're actually on a Zoom call, so I can see Mike on the other side laughing at me, which is pretty funny. <laughs> well, I would interject, Matt, while, while, while you're thinking about it. I, right. I think a comment to add to that is er, the earlier, the better. Uh, it right. is so much easier working with an early stage company, you know, in the first couple of years of operation that haven't, haven't had enough time to build bad habits. And, uh, you know, that kind of startup mentality where you're, where you're reacting and, and figuring things out on the fly that, that develops some bad habits and some, some challenges that you have to clean up uh, when you're, you know, seven, eight years old. So that's it, right. It is that's really a great opportunity to set the right stage for the For family. sure. For sure. And especially if you're at the point of, like making your initial investment in some some security technology or risk technology or compliance technology, I mean, getting you know thinking it through on on that perspective is probably worthwhile because you, I mean you want to make sure you're 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 making that investment and you're not going to have to throw it out or make a change two years down the road because that that takes time that costs money um, none of it's fun but to your point it's it's uh, start with the best habits don't start with bad ones. So we were we were going to talk today about um, the process itself, uh, what it looks like, getting ready for a, uh, an audit for the attestation period, um, all of that stuff. So, one, one, from your perspective, uh, what, what what do you recommend people do, or once you describe the process, let's start there. Let's how do you engage with an auditor to do the attestation? What do you what, what should you expect? So, uh, I mean, that's a lot of things. There, there's a lot of different paths um, that you can take to get to me um, or to, you know, to any auditor relationship. And, that, and that's, again, part of the challenge is there, there's a lot of different ways to do this. Uh, a number of clients will engage a consultant, right, that, that can kind of help build up that program to be able to hand to an auditor. Some auditors will kind of help with that readiness 
um, to, you know, they, they build up the program and then they audit against it. And then others where I do a great deal of my work is, you know, using a compliance management platform, um, you know, kind of the policy development and, and uh, you know, monitoring solution. Um, that, like I said, that's kind of the hallmark foundation of my practice. So that's where a great deal of my work comes from. Uh, and that is, you know, being able to provide some scale to your, to your program, kind of, which, you, you know, gives you some tools and techniques uh, to kind of build up things. So you're not just starting from scratch. And I think that tends to be the, the hardest part for people to grasp is wh where do you start? And so it's like, that's where I think kind of going down that approach where, you know, maybe you're 60% along the way because of the tools that, that they can hand you as opposed to just starting with a wide open, you know, Excel file and blank piece of paper. <laughs> that's right. So three, th three kind of ways to start. Engage an auditor who may have a readiness offering that they can they can bring to bear. So they they help get you ready for the audit that they would do. Generally speaking, that auditor wants you to do the audit with them as part of the readiness. They kind of come come together. If you do the read, let me back up. If you do a readiness with an auditor, they'd like you to do the audit with them as well. Um, or you could have somebody like Harbor Technology Group. Uh, our firm, we do a lot of this, and this is how Mike and I have gotten you know to know each other. Um, we come in and help the the company prepare for an audit, uh, do the readiness, and then help them with the engagement of the auditor uh, as well, or use a platform or some combination thereof. Use a, a compliance uh, platform, compliance management platform, like Tugboat, like Drata, like Vanta, um, something along those lines um, to begin the process, automate that that. Uh, preparation. Um, and then a lot of those platforms then have links into uh, firms like yourself, right? And as you said, that's where you get a lot of your your business at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I think it's everything in between, right? Because if, if you, the, the consultant can also help you work with, with that platform, the mm -hmm. auditor can help you work with that platform, you can kind of do that all on your own. I, I mean, it, it really gets to kind of the, the specific needs and uh, kind of expertise that you have on hand. And, and also kind of the biggest thing is just bandwidth of, of having right. someone that, that can champion this uh, effort and, and kind of so then, you know, you fill in the tools uh, where you can from there. Right. I mean, I think the reality is, and I, I don't know that this would be surprising to anyone, um, the process does take time. It does cost money. Um, it's not, I mean, it, it if you're doing it in-house and getting ready in-house and, and implementing tools in-house, I mean, that that person that you're utilizing to do the work in-house will be pretty much dedicated to this exercise, um, depending on how quickly you want to do it. Um, so it's something to consider about using outside resources to, to complete the readiness, to get the advice, to get the advisement um, on, on what needs to be put into place, where you're good, um, that type of thing. So that readiness, uh, I mean, it does, I mean, you probably know this obviously better than most because you've seen where readiness is done well and where readiness may have not been done as well or maybe not done at all. And what that, what that means for the, the, the audit itself and the, uh, and the findings that you, you come across. So let's, let's, let's take that, assume now that You've been engaged. Now, whether readiness has happened or not, we've expressed the need for it, but let's say 
you've been engaged. You probably have asked, have they prepared for it, correct? Yeah, so most of my projects uh, are, are coming to me where they're, you know, maybe 70% of the way through. They, they have some questions. There's some uncertainties. Anxiety, I would say, is the right. big thing of, right. of, uh, of what we can do. And a lot of times I'll say, like, my, with some of the best value I can provide at that stage is just having someone to give you a thumbs up, thumbs down. So you're not trying to guess what the auditor is going to tell you as you're making these very judgmental decisions. And, and so it's, it, you know, getting, getting that engagement started kind of while they're wrapping up, being able to answer questions uh, until, you know, once they've had, once they've developed policies, once they've kind of scoped out the project, that's kind of with the, the primary point um, that I would begin my work. I mean, and your, your question on kind of readiness level and uh, whether readiness happened is a good one. I, the, the only projects that are bad, and I, and I think you could, you could interview every single client of mine that, that, would, that would agree with this. When, when a client does the work on the planning on the front end of the foundation, they get a ton of value from this process because it gives you this, this inventory of, of, of problems to solve or, uh, it's, or things to think about down, down the future. It keeps you accountable to these activities that you want to be doing anyways, uh, a lot of times. And uh, you know, it's it's not all about being perfect. There is a great deal of flexibility in in the decisions you make and kind of the application of those controls. But but if you're if you're doing those things and you're not scrambling to just come in and and get everything prepared when the auditor comes in, um, it's it's really not that big of a deal. But but when you're not putting in that planning, it's kind of an awful process, both both for me and the client. Right. Right. Um... I mean, it's a, it's a really, I mean, it goes, it probably holds true with every audit that you could ever go through, um, you know, whether they be a cyber audit or a privacy audit or a financial audit, whatever it might be, the, the more you're prepared, the better it's going to go and the more value you're going to get out of it. I mean, with SOC 2, um, I mean, the, the intention is good. Um, as you and I discussed on the last, uh, the last time we got together, you know, SOC 2 used to be a pretty high bar for, for organizations to get over because there's a lot of requirements in it. Those requirements haven't changed. It's just the industry is caught up and said, we need to put these controls in place because we need to protect our business and our clients' data and our, and our intellectual property. So just the, the environment, the threats that, the, that organizations face has elevated everybody to the point we're getting to SOC 2 um, it's not easy. I'm not claiming that for a second, but it's not nearly the hurdle that it used to be. Would you agree? Absolutely. I, and yeah. that's, I mean, I made the joke about starting with an Excel file and a piece of paper. Um, right. that, I mean, that was kind of how it was done just five right. years. I mean, there right. weren't dedicated tools to help you organize all these different questions that you have to answer, uh, as you're kind of evaluating these things. And so, you know, if it's, if it's 300 questions you have to answer and 70% of them are much easier than they used to be, like then it becomes a much more manageable list and just way to keep, like I said, keep organized. Right. Well, and, and then things like, uh, let me pull something out of the air, like encryption. Just, I mean, I'm being very specific now, but the controls themselves, you know, managing the keys for encryption and, and, and implementing encryption enterprise-wide was much more difficult than it is today. 
and and actually a lot of people were like, well, why do I need to do it? But now it's very obvious, like it's basic blocking and tackling when it comes to security. So that that hurdle is already, it's not even a hurdle anymore because organizations have already put it in place. During the audit, you just need to grab that spreadsheet or use your compliance management software and say, look, we are in fact encrypting what we need to encrypt. So I, I, I think that my, my point here is that uh, SOC 2 was, was much more of a pie in the sky dream for some organizations and not being required by you know, your, your, uh, your clients because it was really hard to achieve. And it was, you know, you wouldn't have thought about saying to a startup five years ago, six years ago, you need to be SOC 2. Today, it's not an unreasonable ask for a second. So now there is a cost associated with this. So that part of it can be tough, but uh, the, the security requirements are, are much more expected in environments now. I, I don't know if you may not totally agree with what I'm saying. Um, my, my point is that we, security has been advanced so much in, in all organizations and certainly in small and mid-sized businesses and startups, et cetera, that SOC 2 is not, not nearly as far of a reach for people to achieve. It's no, I, I absolutely hundred percent agree. Okay. I mean, I think the, the demand in the space, it's really, it's been driven by, I mean, the obvious one is just the focus on, on data security and sure. security, but it's also uh, kind of being pushed down where, where the SOC 2 kind of requirements came from the larger uh, providers that are now saying we want to work with these smaller, you know, startup tech companies, but for our SOC 2, we need you to be SOC 2. Right. So <laughs> right. Pushing, it, pushing it down. So it kind of spread um, that way. And then amongst the, the smaller and medium-sized providers, they're demanding it from those. And I think the other piece to this too is kind of, as you were alluding to, is uh, it, as, a, as a customer demanding that from a vendor five years ago from a small shop uh, tech company was not reasonable. Like it was just the answer was going to be no, right. no one right. would have even asked. Right. But now the cost is at a point, and the it, you know internal resources is at a point where it makes sense that you can make that ask. Um, and it's yeah, it's much more approachable, much more attainable than it used to be. That's right. I, I I mean, at some level, if you're a tech company, especially like a fintech company, let's say, and you're you're looking at your startup costs, what they're going to be, SOC two should be on that list. You might as well just put it on your list get a, you know, guesstimate what it's going to cost uh, because it's going to be a requirement for you to do work with banks. You're going to have to be SOC 2, um, which brings up a point that I want to make sure we're clear on. And we, 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 I don't know that we cleared it up on the last one, type one versus type two, because that has some bearing on readiness and what, what value there is. So what are you seeing out there? Like banks are going to want type two. So why don't you tell real quickly what the difference is? We may have talked about it before, but I'm not sure. I just want to make sure everybody understands. Yeah. And maybe I, I, I'll, if I can kind of step back even, even further, because I, I mean, we wanted to get into process. So I, I think maybe building yeah. up as to what, what a type one engagement looks like. Uh, sure. that'll, that'll provide a little clarity as to why you would get a type one report because is my process on, because you, you, there is no, you do not have to do a type one report. Yeah, to move into a type two. I think that is a misconception that's out there. I don't hear it as often anymore, but you can go directly to type two. Type one is, again, just kind of for the vocabulary lesson, that's saying these controls are in place as of this day. 
where type two is kind of over this period of time, I've seen these controls operate and they did operate effectively. So that's kind of the gold standard. That's what clients want. They want to, they want to make sure that you've been doing this for, for a period of time. Um, when I'm, whether it's straight to type two or we're doing a type one first, my engagements look exactly the same. Uh, we are, as I, as I said, we're, we're rounding out the readiness is kind of the, the first thing that we're working on. And while we're doing that, I'm doing some observations, I'm doing some testing, I'm letting the, you know, the client show me examples. I'm able to kind of count all of that as my testing work while we're helping them make decisions on kind of evaluating and finalizing their program. And so, you know, while I'm doing my work on type one, I'm also providing a forum where they can ask questions and, and we can kind of get aligned on here's what our onboarding process will look like and kind of here's what application development looks like today. And if there are issues with that um, it, and, and we feel like, oh, we want to clean something up here and implement some specific control, we can move that as of date that we had planned for the type one you know, after implementation has, has been done. Or if we're going directly to a type two, we have to kind of establish a day zero of that scope period, which is, you know, the period you're going to operate your controls and I'm going to audit over, um, which, which we can establish kind of after we've done readiness or, we, you know, we can go back in time. It's, it, it becomes a management decision. But ultimately, like I said, my process looks the same. Um, the only difference is if, if you're going directly to type two, you don't, you know, you don't get that fancy deliverable. You know, I've, I've explained it as a trophy, like as you've kind of gotten, you've gotten, you've done all this work and then you have to wait three months. <laughs> like I have clients that tell me like it's, they were happy they did a type one, if nothing else, just because they had a, the piece of paper that they could hand out. Um, but kind of to your comment earlier, it, it all gets to the value that your customers are seeing that, you know, governance and all these decision makers are seeing and most want the type two. So it, it just becomes a business decision on whether or not that makes sense to, to produce. Right, right. And the, the type one, I advise our clients a lot. Type one probably makes sense if you're, if you're getting pushed by your clients to complete a SOC two type two. Uh, the type one might be a good holdover until you can get through the monitoring period. It, it shows your intention to accomplish a task. It may appease them for a, a certain period of time because these organizations understand what this is. Um, you can say that, you know, your client, hey, Mr. Client, um, I've, you know, we've engaged an auditor, we're ready. We've, we are just completed our type one. Here's the report. And our monitoring period has started. We're going to run it for three months. We're going to run four months, whatever it might be. And we'll, of course, produce a report at the end of that. But until that point, we have this to, to show you that it, at least we have the controls in place. Now we're going to tell you that they're being followed and, and, and they're, they're repeatable in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I... This does happen. I mean, I, I do have clients that come to me and tell me like, we cannot get a deal over the finish line until we have SOC 2. Um, that doesn't happen very often. Usually it's, you know, we have this relationship, they signed up, but we want to show, we want to demonstrate that we're working towards SOC 2 compliance. And so that, it, that, it, it just kind of becomes, you know, a part of the journey or the, like that you want to be able to deliver to your customers. I, I've done some vendor management on uh, on products where like you know I've googled SOC two for X platform and you'll find like message board postings where it says 
you know, our SOC 2 project is in process. And you see like, well, that was 18 months ago. Like, right, what, right. What is it that's yeah, going on? Yeah, yeah, so exactly. At being able to have that deliverable, I, I think does, does carry some weight that they know, okay, this is real. This is actually happening. Right. Okay. So from a process perspective, you've, you've moved into those decision points, whether you're doing it from your, to your point, you, you, your process is the same, whether there's a, a stop point where you produce a report for type one, or you just continue through to type two. So what, what should a client of yours uh, expect to see over, over this period of time as you're, as you're doing the work? Yeah. So as, as we're doing that, that readiness work, uh, and, and working on the type one, I, I set up each of my clients in a notion workspace. I use it as a you know, project collaboration uh, and, and alignment and kind of headquarters uh, for the engagement, regardless of if they're using a compliance management tool or they're working with a consultant or just managing it in-house. It's just a good place to kind of come together with all your, your SOC 2 information. Uh, one of the critical pieces of that and, and kind of the the place where I do the majority of my, my work is we have some walkthrough sessions where I have the client guide me through the system. I try and present them an agenda of here's the things I want you to cover, but have them lead the meeting uh, tends to be kind of the less friction and have them walk me through. Here's our cloud infrastructure. Here's our uh, encryption setting. Here's the resource we're using. Here's kind of our TLS security policies, kind of walk, walking me through things and I always tell them if I'm quiet, that means you're giving me the information I want and <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll speed up or slow down. But uh, I've often have the clients that come really well prepared. They're like, are you, this is good. Is this all right, Mike? And it's like, yeah, that's right. That's a thing. And so that's, that's kind of where I, I do the majority of my work and we get kind of total agreement or at least as much as we can on kind of here, the specific control activities that are going to go in that section for the report. Here's the evidence that we're going to use to support all of those control activities. Um, and, and so that they know, like, and, and that me as the auditor knows um, kind of what's going to be expected during this type two period. And, and for the most part, um, it's like, again, when we don't issue that type one report, they're like, what do we do, Mike? Like, where, where does this go from here? And it's like, well, you just, you, you run the business, you operate right. these Goals as we talked about, you document, you know, if you have a new employee, here's the check, you know, here's the uh, playbook you pull out when you have a terminated employee, this is what you do. If you spin up a new resource, this is how you do it. And, it, you know, be able to, I, I, there's some tools that I share that, it, you know, can help uh, kind of document and make those things as, as least, uh, you know, intrusive uh, when, when the, when the exam comes, but, but really that you can get your whole kind of plan and playbook set up where it doesn't have to be this nightmare uh, fight with, with the auditor. Cause like I said, you kind of, you agreed on all that stuff up front. Right. So um, that all makes sense. So during the process you're monitoring and let's say one of their components, vulnerability management, let's just say um, you've seen a shortcoming of, of their program. Is there an opportunity, I mean, and this is just a, a general question, and I don't, it's not an integrity thing, it's just a, a question about how the process works. If you found a problem with their program, let's say in month two of a three-month uh, monitoring period, that's going to wind up to be a finding 
not an opportunity for them to fix it mid-flight, right? Or does it depend? Well, it depends. Okay. Um, I guess kind of one, one, one comment I, I always call out is like the, this whole service, this whole framework is built around service commitments. And so as it pertains to vulnerability management, it becomes like, have you signed a contract that's committed to some specific vulnerability management program, which that, I mean, those contracts exist. I've read those. Right. So let's say you did say, okay, we're going to do a pen test over 12 months. Right. And I find out, oh, no, no, you did not do that. Um, it, it gets evaluated and that's super complicated and I won't get into the, the nitty gritty of that, but, but generally I think what, what would happen is, yeah, you would, you would report it as an exception. And I, the, the very best clients that I have like want to communicate that. Like they, like they want to be able to show like, yes, we're owning it. We did this wrong, but here's what we did to fix it. And you can right. do that in the scope period. You can call that out in the report. You can show that to your customers to be able to say like, look, we, we missed it. We forgot or it, you know, whatever it is, but here's what we're doing today to make sure this never happens again. And, uh, and, and, it's it shows up in the report but you know i you read kind of the big public cloud providers they have exceptions in their reports like it's it doesn't it's it's very very rarely uh a situation where you, you have this big black eye where you're qualifying the opinion it's, it's kind of where the, the worst thing that can happen um which is basically like you you forgot to do anything it is is what right I, right it's a much it's a much bigger deal and again it's something that you we want to figure out and resolve. Yeah, I mean, you probably know in that kind of readiness, readiness slash beginning period, whether this is going to be a dumpster fire or not. <laughs> and you probably say to your client, like, hey, Mrs. Client or Mr. Client, um, we may want to take a pause here and, you know, let's put out the dumpster fire before we move through the audit because... I already get a sense that there may be some gaps in your program and it could be problematic at the end. To your point, not everybody has a perfect report. In fact, I mean, is there, would you take a stab at how many people have perfect reports? Is it 75% of SOC 2 type 2s show no exceptions or no findings? I, I, I don't have the data to make a reasonable okay. That um, it might be higher than that, and again, I like that's because a lot of the a lot of the SOC two reports I read have something that's continuously monitoring these controls, right? Um, which which certainly simplifies things. Right. Um, so I, I I don't know. It might it might be higher. It might be lower. Okay. Uh, I think to your to your question, I I mean the that whole readiness that's what it's all about it's finding those obvious things it's getting agreement on those controls and that's where where i where i run into you know things that would be a finding during the exam period we get corrected before you even start so in that example i just used it's like okay you need to go out and get a pen test right it, there's a decision to be made on whether or not that needs to be communicated to customers and <clears> we would have that conversation and do that analysis but Let's do that, and so that you know the the report ultimately is is clean um, because you've you've corrected that kind of during this readiness period instead of done it while we're doing a live exam. Well, and then the the other side of that is if you are in the exam period and you're you're going through the process and you know the assumption that everything's working well, and this goes back to what you were saying earlier, like the client's prepared, everybody's going, and and then there's a breakdown. 
the vulnerability scanning doesn't happen and it doesn't meet what the contractual requirements are or the pen test didn't happen or whatever it might be. You can show it as a finding, but then the, 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 you know, your client, the, the organization going through the, the SOC, the audit can say, listen, we, we knew we, we had a problem. We took corrective steps. This is what we did to, to remediate it. And this is where it's a, it's a really learning process for everyone. Um, where, and this is to your point at the beginning of this conversation, which is that the audit doesn't have to be a teeth pulling, hair pulling exercise. It can be a learning exercise where everybody has value in it because you're you're able to see where you might have breakdowns in your processes. So I think that's an important note. Like findings, findings are good things if there's findings. Because if there's not, if everything's good, that's great. But if there aren't findings, only because you're not getting the right audit or who knows what, or you're not even going through the process, but you have breakdowns in process because nobody's really watching what you're doing as an organization, like you would during an exam period, it, you know, there's a, there's a breakdown in your security program and that's that, that there's risk associated with that. Right. I mean, we all know what that could turn into. There's a reason why these, these audits exist is because we're trying to measure that people are doing the right things. Yeah, I think I, as I was just sitting here, I, I mean, I, I would say the most common findings uh, that, that come to mind is, is things like turnover um, would, would be one that, that stands out. You know, you have an HR leader that leaves and nobody picks up the ball from there. Right. And so it's like, oh, well, okay, let's, let's implement some kind of higher level procedure so that, it, you know, that information could be shared a little better and it's right. not siloed to that individual. Right. Um, and, I, and I'll tell you, the other one is just kind of management buy-in to the process mm -hmm. uh, that it's, you know, this does not work very well when it's kind of that engine, you know, you, you picked one engineer to kind of be the everything compliance director that they're not super psyched about, but, you know, have taken it on for, for the organization, taken one for the team, uh, and they get to be kind of the the flying the ointment to, to all the other people like that doesn't work real well uh, that that's where things slip through the cracks and and don't happen because it's not being championed from above but when they see that report with the with the exceptions it it does kind of give a pause to be able to reset to say what's a better way to do this well and, to that to that end i mean honestly we having been in in security for 25 years you know when when management's not on board whether you're doing an audit or not security is going to fail, um, especially in this day and age. You know, security isn't the function of an IT guy that you have down in the basement. Security is an organizational mindset um, because the sophistication of, of the, you know, the people that are trying to get at your data is too high to take them, you know, to leave it to only the guy in the basement. Um, and I say that with love in my heart, but because uh, those guys are capable, it's just, it has to be organizational. Let me ask you a quick question, though, um, and I want to be cautious or conscious of our time. What when I'm reading a when our whenever our listeners are reading a report, a SOC two type two report, what should we look for? It's you know we you and I didn't talk about that uh, when we prepared for this, but what should we what should we look for when we're reading someone else's SOC two report? It's a really good question. Uh, first is that you should read it. 
that uh, you know you can't really conduct an assessment of this of this vendor without reading it uh, because of the flexibility of the service. I, I, I mean, I think I would point you towards one: review the opinion, make sure that there are no qualifications. Those, as I said, those are the really big deal things that you want to think about. Review the auditor, um, the, the the quality of the firm that's conducting the engagement um, is really important. Uh, I would point towards looking at um, kind of subservice organizations and, and which is like the biggest, like the cloud provider and understanding what level of responsibility is this organization taking versus outsourcing to, you know, managed service provider. Right. Um, it, and uh, and it, who is that managed service provider? Is this working with AWS or is this some data center that was in town? And kind of what are the controls that they have in place uh, around that. I mean, I mean, I think the, the technology is, is the big thing um, that you can learn about and you can kind of gleam of, okay, what, what sort of, uh, what, what are the types of configurations that they have in place? Because as I said, like the other big risk you have is people. And I, and I don't know that that that's going to shine through a SOC 2 report, right, right. Um, because it's, especially because it's really hard to audit the tone at the top and culture and the level of training program. And so that becomes, you know, that that's also part of your due diligence of just kind of getting to know the company through other sources. So the observation page or pages, uh, who the auditor is, and if there are observations that you go and dig into what those, what those look like, what they did to rectify them, what they plan to do to rectify them, and whether you find that of concern, right? Like if, if you read a SOC 2 report that has a bunch of findings or exceptions or observations that are kind of in your wheelhouse of, boy, that's, that, that gives me, you know, that gives me pause to think about whether I want to do business with this client or not, or this, this vendor or not, then, then really think hard and long about whether you want to get in bed with this person. Right. Yeah. I think it's, it, it's still, be, it becomes only kind of the start to the conversation. And sure. Sure. Like, I've, I, I would love to have a customer's customer reach out to me with questions about a SOC 2 report. Like that would be really interesting feedback for me to have, but I, I, I take it. You've never had that. It has not. I do right. <laughs> not. Right. Right. Um, because, because I think it, well, it would be a really valuable tool uh, as a customer to have the conversation with the SOC 2 report in hand to ask some pointed questions to the compliance leader of that, uh, that organization, because you can tell really quick, I imagine, as to you know the level of sophistication of this team and whether or not they were doing that for sure. Know, check the box, get it done. Versus, have they adopted a, a holistic security program and really bought into protecting your information? One last question, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll try to wrap it up. Um, from a process perspective, you've made it through it. You've you've reached the end of the the observation period, the exam period. Um, you have a report that's been generated. You have your type two. Everybody's excited, and then it's rinse and repeat for year two. How? I mean, odds are once you've been through the readiness and you continue to, uh, you know, from the from executive leadership on down instill this this idea of security and privacy and, and doing all the right things um, uh, to maintain that 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 sockness, let's say. Um, you have to do it again in year two, right? And then you have to do it again in year three. And at the process, I assume, Mike, is relatively the same. 
right? There's a, I mean, if you have a relationship, you may not have to go through as much readiness stuff, but you're like, okay, it's, you know, we start our observation period on July 1 every year. And that's, and here comes Mike again and his guys. Um, we're going to, we're going to start that. And you just know what's happening, right? Yeah. And I, I think that's the, the, the key difference is you've built up the program. And so you don't have to do that again. It, it just becomes right. the changes in the environment, new things that you're adopting. Uh, I've had clients ask like, can we, you know, can we add new things and make changes during our scope period? It's like, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's very much a living document. You operate your program uh, and we'll, we'll highlight changes. And that tends to be things you're celebrating because you're, it, you know, you're making improvements. Right. Uh, so you can highlight those in the report. Um, the, I mean, the other conversation that we have kind of as we're wrapping up one engagement, you know, prior to moving into the next is do we want to add other categories? Do we want to bring availability and scope or right. talk about processing integrity? Um, so that can go through a new readiness project um, to kind of make sure that we're aligned to be able to add that in. But otherwise, no, it, it's the same. It's you're operating those same controls. You're hopefully you're keeping the program alive through um, some, some various things you can do to, to make sure everything is kept active. Um, but it just kind of, it becomes a way of life. Um, right. Right. How we do things here. And then we bring in an auditor that, um, you know, is awesome. We really like him, but he <laughs> makes sure that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. That's right. And we get this nice report to give to our customers. Right on, right on. That's great. I, I, I compare it to gardening. I like to garden. Um, you know, in the spring, we spend all this time getting our gardens looking nice. The grass is green and the mulch is spread and the weeds are out and the flowers are growing. But I tell you what, if you if you let it go for a month, forget it. You almost have to start all over. So um, you've got to keep that garden maintained uh, year round to to continue to have a nice garden uh, year in and year out. Let's uh, try to put a nice flowery you picture like on a, little, a, a sock too. <laughs> you have like a little book with all these metaphors. Really good. <laughs> but like, my business, my business partner, who I don't know if you've met him or not, um, he uses car analogies all the time, which is hilarious. Uh, but the, he's, I, I, I've learned a lot from him on how to make analogies and these metaphors. Um, so anyhow, I good. like gardening. <laughs> so uh, a lot of pressure on you. We're basically, you know, how we end all of our, our shows. Uh, um, we asked for a, a place on the water that you like to go and enjoy yourself. You, you told us about the Ozarks last time, uh, which you also mentioned that you're going on vacation next week, I think. Um, so that's exciting down in the Ozarks. So now you have pressure. We need to know your second favorite place. Basically. So. Yeah, you did. You are putting me on the spot a bit, but I have, I have a good one. So for our for our honeymoon, which we're coming up on our 10 year anniversary. So we're actually congratulations. Thank you. We're trying to figure out a big mega trip to do, um, you know, while I'm running a brand new business. Is, is <laughs> good luck. Uh, but for our for our honeymoon, we went to Jamaica and I have to like I am not a good traveler uh, and, and I, I, I don't know. I, I like, I'm a homebody. I like to have my fridge. Like, I, I, I don't like to get around. I have never been to a happier freaking place than Jamaica. I know. It's amazing. Uh, the weather was incredible every day. Beach was beautiful. Food was amazing. But like just the, the, the staff and the people just like they brightened my day. Like, yeah. <laughs> every single one of them was smiling, had, had nothing but wonderful things to say. I, like, Absolutely. 
I, I so think, where did you where did you stay? No worries, Mon. Where did you stay? Um, it was in Montego Bay. Right on. Um, oh, shoot, I, my wife's gonna make fun of me. I oh, a Vero Star, right? Okay, yeah, I think I I think I know that. I've, we've been a couple of times. In fact, uh, we went down for a, a nice trip uh, in February, um, but the other side of the island. So. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Jamaica is fantastic. And the, 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 the island's great. The people are amazing. Um, yeah, it's really, it's, it's a great place to go. For sure. Literally, right when we stepped off the plane, a, a gentleman came and took our luggage and kind of signaled toward, towards his mouth as my wife, and asked if we wanted to smoke. My wife said, no cigarettes. <laughs> and seriously, he said, no, no, ganja. Like, literally got off the plane. <laughs> right. That was the first thing. Well, and it's a way of life. Bus. It's a way of life there, that's for sure. And and Bob Marley was playing on the bus. Like, it was it was exactly, like, the, the exact scenario you'd want coming in. Exactly, the- exactly. Hilarious. That's great. <laughs> All right. Well, um, enjoy your vacation to the Ozarks next week. It's next week, right? Uh, that's uh, we leave wednesday oh okay well thank you for taking the time and doing this on your uh, vacation week so i appreciate that um i got and, three employees now so I, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's right it makes it easy to go places um and you and i will be getting together i guess uh beginning of july for one of our mutual clients uh kickoffs uh, uh for their sock to monitoring period so it's exciting yeah i'm looking forward to that all right buddy Well, uh, have a great time off, and uh, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Harbor's innovative processes are based on industry standard frameworks that are tailored to meet the needs of small and medium-sized businesses. We would also like to thank Tom Marshall for the original music. Yes, that Tom Marshall from Fish fame. Harbor's portfolio of services is designed to meet the cybersecurity needs of small and medium enterprises. We offer a range of services from cyber risk advisory to VCSO consulting to meet specific security requirements without putting a strain on your technology budget. If you like what you heard here, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. We release new podcasts every other week and are available on Spotify and Apple. You can reach us through our website if you have additional questions or suggest a great harbor we should mention on our next show. 